0: So for the sermon skippers, you're trapped. And for the worship-only people, um, or the worship skippers, they're they're scrambling right now to get in here. They didn't know this was going to happen. So we thought we would flip it up a little bit, one, because we love the opportunity to respond. Uh, to Jesus and to what he's doing. And so when you hear God's word, sometimes we're just like, okay, see ya, and everybody's out, and no opportunity just to think and to listen. And so we want you to be able to listen and to hear God's heart uh, as we jump into the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 15. If you have a Bible or a device, um, turn there, not to Twitter uh, or Facebook, or TikTok. I know TikTok is tempting, but Acts 15. Uh, this is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. I love this uh, new art as well, airmail. Uh, you're sitting here because this message made it. The word of God made it to you. It's, it's here for you to listen to some amazing supernatural and powerful, some resurrection power type of thing has caused us to be sitting here actually considering that this is the real deal. It's amazing to think about. But it's also, the reason we titled this, I stole it from a book uh, that I was reading, The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Usually in your book, it probably says The Acts of the Church, uh, and it is, but really it's him moving. It's him moving among the church here in the, the book, but it's also him moving in our time and among us. Now, this was a ragtag small group of a seemingly crushed rebellion in Jerusalem, but it's spreading like wildfire. And it's not them, they're just messengers. The success of the kingdom of God is fueled by the resurrection of the son of God. It's him living in them, breathing in life into them, and they are moving and they're watching people respond. But there has been opposition. If you've been with us even for a little bit, opposition like people being killed, Some of the original James, the original disciple, he's killed. They're feeling the weight of that. It's not just like, yeah, I went to this church and I was okay. So then I decided to try another one. No, it's like I went to this church and people were killed for going to that church. So opposition, that's difficult. Things are happening. People are saying things against them, telling them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They're doing it anyway. But most of the difficulties have come from the outside. Today, it comes from the inside. Because Satan, the deceiver, and he is at work, he is, he has a, he has power for the time being. We know that he's been dealt a fatal blow in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Ultimately, he will be destroyed, but he is still allowed to roam and do his thing somehow. And so his plan is always disguised. I don't know if you knew that. Masquerades as an angel of light is what the word of God says. And he's like, Why come in with a red costume and a pitchfork when you can use another church member? Hmm. That's what's happening today. We get to see that kind of opposition. So the setting is the brand new baby church in Antioch, which is growing like crazy. People are so fired up. They're so excited about Jesus. There's joy. There's life. There's enthusiasm. But those who've been in the game longer are looking back and saying, you know what? You young Christians, you're all excited and all enthusiastic about Jesus. You know what? Calm down. Calm down and you're going to eventually grow up like us and we'll go to church together and we'll sit and it'll be awesome. It happens, doesn't it? I've done that. Maybe I didn't say it out loud, but I've looked at a brand new believer, somebody who's super fired up, who's actually going out there and telling people about Jesus. And in my head, I'm like, calm down. We kind of look, we look with our nose because we know what it's really like to be in church, to follow Jesus. And sometimes people go even further. And when they look at something that doesn't look the way they have always seen church look, it doesn't smell like church should smell. I still remember the smell of the Baptist church that I went to, the center block walls and the cookies and the juice. I still remember the smell of the basement. When it doesn't smell the way it always smells, and when you don't do the things the way we always do it, then folks will say, you know what? We're going to have to have a meeting about this. We need to sit down and talk, and as we all know, meetings ruin everything, don't they? If you do one search on just do a search on Google this afternoon, just, just for fun. Just type in meetings are lame. It is a just huge mountain of articles about meeting culture and how people leave churches because like the churches, but they leave businesses and offices all based on the meeting culture. Waste of time meetings. People have only had more meetings the longer meetings have been in existence. People have meetings about having meetings. We're gonna plan the meeting, so you need to be at that meeting, then you come to the other meeting. Acts 15, you're gonna see the first meeting. Let's jump in. That's the setting. Verse one, here we go. Some men came down from Judea, from the mother church, okay? This is the big boys. We're coming down to tell you some stuff. This is where it all happened. Some men from GD, they came down, they began to teach the brothers and sisters in Antioch, and they said this, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, what? After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, I bet, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they'd been sent on their way by the church, as they went, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. Remember how bad Samaria was for the disciples originally? They're going back in saying, hey, listen to what God has done. They described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. People are excited. There's joy so they're like, okay, we're still on to this. This is still the right thing as they're headed back to Jerusalem, but their heart is burdened. And when they arrive, verse four, Jerusalem, they're welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders. They report all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, yeah, but it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This past summer, I had the opportunity with my son, Caleb, to go to the Sistine Chapel. It is beautiful and annoying. And here's what was annoying. You walk in, you pay, you have to book it in advance. If you try to do it on the day of, you're not getting in. You're not getting in. So days in advance to go to a church to see some beautiful art... You have to pay and you get in there and there's so many people in line and everybody's pushing and it's kind of this thing where you're, you just feel like cattle and sheep that are being pushed through. And when you get in there, you finally get in there and you wanna see this and you're like, this is amazing. This is, I wanna see this is amazing, Michelangelo. Oh my goodness. And you hear this silence, silence, no photo, no video, silence. I'm like, what? What's happening? what is supposed to be a beautiful, and it is beautiful, it is unbelievable, worshipful experience that draws you closer to God, that gets you to thinking about heaven and thinking about God coming to earth and the judgment and all these things. Instead, you have this guy over a loudspeaker, silence, (laughs) silence, no photo, no video, silence. You can't take a picture. So can you guess what I did? I took a picture. (laughs) So that's me right there. Um, Absolutely took a picture. See, I'm not obeying this rule. And because it is one of those things, I love art, I love paintings, I love thinking about them and just imagining the, the amount of work and the time and also what it would have been like for somebody, let's say somebody like a brand new believer in Antioch, To get a glimpse of God and His beauty, which is what people would have done when they would have gone into the Sistine Chapel for the first time, they would walk in and be like, "Oh, what? This is this is so beautiful!" Imagine people in Florence, they're sorry, in Rome, they're poor, they they don't have a lot. They go home to these small spaces, and then they walk into this just magnificent place, and they say, "Oh my goodness, God is real." He's amazing. But you go in there now, and it's rules, and it's this, and don't do this, and don't. This is a place of worship. Okay. That's what's happening in Acts 15. It's a different way. But some of the believers, now don't miss that part. These aren't people who don't believe in Jesus. Some of the believers are saying You got to be circumcised. We're excited you guys have joined our Jesus party. You seem quite excited and energetic. That's great. You got a lot of enthusiasm. That's also great. But here's the thing unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. And this is the party of the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Who were the guys leading the charge to get Jesus crucified? The Pharisees. So, this just pause for a minute to think about the fact that this is amazing. These are guys who did not believe, who do believe in Jesus now. As another pastor I was listening to said, yeah, the resurrection of the son of God and him walking around talking to them was pretty convincing, right? They maybe didn't believe all the things he said, but then when he was killed and then he got up and was walking around, they were like, yeah, we're not really sure how to explain this one away. And so, yes, they convert, but they're not all the way there. Maybe they had good intentions though even what they consider as holy intentions. They aren't bad people. They're brothers in Christ. But in this moment, they are knives out for Jesus. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it when I thought about this passage, but basically I just saw these guys were like, you're excited about Jesus? That's awesome. Let's go. And you imagine these these guys, especially the, the guys, In Antioch they're like wait wait wait, what what yeah we we have to do this God's word got to do it they are ready to do a surgical procedure in the name of God as one pastor put it this week it's salvation by surgery salvation by surgery what's missing Just even in the words that they said when they came down to Antioch, what's missing from the conversation? Because it's something huge that's missing. Somebody give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus is missing from the conversation. (laughs) He's not mentioned. They don't mention what he did. They don't mention what it has accomplished. When they talk to the people, it's as if Jesus doesn't exist. If you want to be saved, you got to follow the law. Revelation 3:20, famous verse. Jesus is standing at a door knocking. Hey, let me in. You know what door he's standing at? A lot of times this one's used for people that don't know Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. Revelation 3 says he is standing outside of a church asking to be let in. Let me into your church. Why is Jesus outside the door? <laughs> Why is Jesus outside the door? I think it's something like this. It's the oldest sin in the book if you think about it. What's their motivation? Are they just really trying to keep the law or is, is this just pride? Pride in tradition, pride in the past? No. Nope. Oldest sin in the book. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, well, I think I can be the judge of what is good and evil. I will. I will decide what is good and what is evil. If there's one message from sin at work in the world, that's an easy one to say, isn't it? We decide. I decide. At some point, the Pharisees that have believed in Jesus decided to take back control of their own spiritual walk. And now, with knife in hand, whether symbolically, literally, metaphorically, whatever, they're in the wrong place. They missed a turn somewhere back. They are so far off. Jesus is missing. We can't help but do this, though. We want to do something. We want to add something to the work of the cross and the resurrection. We say, Jesus, plus whatever I can add or bring to the table that's good enough. Why? Because the truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation is scandalous. It is a scandal. The Bible even says that. People are like, I just can't do that. I just can't accept that. We want some sort of control we want to do something, our pride demands it. We begin in Jesus, but we try to finish on our own. Maybe you came to know Jesus, you accepted his work on the cross, but now you're working really hard to be a Christian. You're working really hard to love him. And the gospel is not just this one moment. The gospel is supposed to be this fuel that gives you life all the way through. You know, we don't like it when someone seems to get something for nothing, do we? mm mm Especially if we believe that that wasn't how it worked for us. If we had to jump through hoops to become a believer of Jesus, then they have to jump through the same hoops, right? Sometimes we even want to raise the bar. We get in and then we're like, you know what? We need to make this strict, even more strict. We got to raise this up because too many people are getting in here that shouldn't be in here. Think about what I just said. We, we start missing it right away, don't we? We start huddling and we start thinking, let's close it down, close down the rules. Silence, silence. No photos or videos of Jesus. What are current attempts to do this in our world right now? No, nobody's walking around with a knife saying, hey, if you want to be a part of our church, we got we to, it's, it's very sterile, but we're going to have to, you know. No, we're not doing that, but what are we doing? What does the world do? Here's here's something I read, and I think it's an accurate statement. Most heresy in our day will attempt to remove the scandal of Christianity. Most heresy will attempt to remove the scandal that it's Jesus alone. No, you can't say that. You can't say that. I remember on a famous talk show probably 20 years ago, somebody was saying, somebody said from the audience, I believe it's, it's the, the only way to salvation is Jesus Christ. And it was like the, the host and the whole place just went bazonkers. You can't say that. That's so rude. Any heresy that you encounter today will most likely be trying to remove the scandal of Christianity. How do we do this in church? We try to make him relevant. We try to make him palatable. We try to get rid of the hard things that there's going to be a judgment someday. We try to not talk about the things that scripture is really clear on, like the sexual ethic of the Bible. We're like, well, let's just not talk about (laughs) that. Jesus is kind and everything. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're still trying to do it on our own though. Yet the story of the Bible says What? It is the act of the risen Lord Jesus on your behalf that saves you. But this isn't how we've always done it. I don't like it. Unless you fill in the blank, you cannot be saved. It's an arbitrary action. Anybody gone to a website recently? You're just trying to read something. And you go to read and something goes Do you accept the cookies? <laughs> yes, I accept the cookies! Can I accept all cookies from now on? I'm so sick of the cookie consent. <laughs> do you know that's what it's called? Cookie consent. And if you dig into it, do a little search this afternoon. After you search lame meetings or lame, type cookie consent. And what you'll find is there's this whole legal world behind cookie consent. What are people trying to do? Cover their backs. Because they're going to get your information. And you have to say, yes, you can have my information. I don't know if you knew you were saying that, but that's what you're doing usually. You're like, sure, you can have my information. You know where I'm searching from, what my search term was, the website I was at beforehand. Sure, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And then they take all your data and they're like, and they start sending you stuff in your Facebook feed and then your dreams overnight, and all this stuff starts happening. <laughs> <laughs> Cookie consent. Yes, I accept the cookies. This is what this feels like to me. Like you come to, to a fort that you and your friends built. It's like four of you. And you come up to the ladder. It's actually in your backyard. It's in your tree. And you go and you knock on the door. And they're like, password. <laughs> like, Dude, it's me. It's my house. Password. <sighs> That's what this feels like. It's password. We'll let you in. Well, this news didn't go over well in Antioch, as you can guess. People who had been excited were crushed. Of course they were crushed. Their Jesus party got rained on. Somebody kicked over the table with the cake on it and stomped on the cake and said, this party's over until you all get circumcised. (laughs) You see the little gleam. And they said, okay, 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 well, let's talk about this. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas are sitting there arguing, and it's not going well. And so they said, you know what we need? You know what we need? What did they need? We need a meeting. Oh, Oh, of course there's a meeting. There's always a meeting. I swear when babies come out of the womb, we should just tell them, welcome. We've got your schedule all set. You're going to have a whole lot of meetings. Most of your life will be spent in meetings. Just a few formalities. We just need you to sign here and here. Just accept these cookies. Okay, you're all set. Circumcision, snip, check. Okay, welcome to earth. Welcome. There's a meeting. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. I bet they did. After there had been much debate. That's so nice, Luke. That's so nice the way you put that. You've You've been to these meetings? You've been to these meetings before? Are they fun? They're not fun. People are yelling. People are interrupting. People are talking all the time. This is not a fun meeting. That's like one half of a sentence to say this was awful. Everybody's yelling. Everybody's upset. These people are saying this. Peter stands up. And there's a little bit of like, ooh, it's Peter. It's Peter. it's Peter. And he said, hey, brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth, by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Remember that story? Cornelius going to his house. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on their neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? You know it's too heavy. We can't even do it. Why are we putting it on their neck? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are, the whole assembly. Became silent. I love it. Listen to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James stood up. I love me some James. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, just another word for Simon Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. The words of the prophets agree with this, by the way. This isn't new. As it is written, Verse 16, after these things, I will return and I'm going to rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. This isn't going to be a Jewish only party. It's going to be all the world, even all the Gentiles who were called by my name declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, if you have one verse you memorize, memorize this one. We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles and just say for those who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city. In other words, God has set this up from the beginning. Every Sabbath day, he's read aloud in these synagogues. My first time in Israel was 2005. I remember walking. By the way, we're running out of spots. So if you want to go, we have till December 1st, but somebody may take it before you. So we would love for you to come with us. Um, My first time was 2005. I was walking around the city center and I was in the market. It's a pretty uncomfortable place. There's a lot of people. The booths are really close. People are trying to sell you something. I was trying to buy something for my kids and for Lisa. And I went to this guy's shop and he was quite angry. He wasn't like welcoming or, hey, it's so glad that you're here. He was just like, are you gonna buy this or not? I was like, oh, you know, and there actually was something I wanted. But he proceeded to tell me that, and he was a Muslim, that it was Ramadan, which is a month. It's one of the five pillars of Islam. It's very important to observe Ramadan. It's a time of prayer and fasting from dawn to sunset. So no food, no drink. No tobacco, no sexual relationships, only prayer and the study of the Quran and apparently being angry at your shop are allowed. Okay, so that's what was happening. And he, he was really frustrated. You could see it in his eyes because he was tired. You could see he was hungry and he was mad at me that I wasn't buying something. And I, I've never forgotten his face because when I think about, now obviously it's Islam and we would say that The desire that those who worship as Muslims is the same desire we all have as humans, which is to know God. But the application and the pursuit is a false God. Right back to what Peter just said, by grace through Jesus alone. So when I think about that guy, I think, though, about religion. I think about keeping something just to keep it because it's important that we keep it today. This is a holy day. I'm like, nah. <laughs> you're so angry. You're so upset. But I recognize the weariness. I recognize the exhaustion. I recognize the anger because I know it so well when it's my effort. Because you may say, well, that's Islam. Well, this is Christianity that it's happening in. And it's the same effect on people kill their souls. This thing just to do it. I want you to keep that guy in your head as we watch what happens here. I want you to see his frustration. I want you to see his anger. I want you to see the burden on his life, the desire to live right, the desire to be close to God, but just utter exhaustion at trying to do it on his own. The meeting that they have in Jerusalem is a live one. There's much debate back and forth. But as Peter stands, he does what the party of the Pharisees did not do, which is he brings Jesus into the conversation. Bring him into, if you are in any conversation with someone about walking with God, about knowing God, if Jesus is absent it's not going to go very far. In fact, I would say it would be the wrong conversation. He brings Jesus into view and he says, look, and I love his God acted, God acting, God made a decision. Here's what he says. God made a choice that I would be the one to speak. God knows their heart. God bore witness. God gave them the Holy Spirit. Just like us, God made no distinction. God cleansed their heart. Who's doing the acting here? God is doing it. God is doing it the Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work. And he says, why are you trying to undo it? Why are you trying to put this huge yoke on their necks? On the contrary, contrary, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way, in the same way. Saved hey. through circumcision? Are you kidding me? We're saved by grace. We're saved by God. Everyone became silent. Throats were awkwardly cleared. People do that when it gets quiet. And then James stands up. I love James. I love James. You know why? This is Jesus' brother. Grew up in the same house. Woke up in a room, said, morning, Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. This is not like, yes, we know Jesus. Like this is, I, he ate with him. He sat at the same table. He watched Jesus be perfect. (laughs) He never did anything wrong. He never cursed mom. He always did his chores on time. He never forgot to be kind. He was always wise. He knew him, and he didn't have the best history. You guys remember that New Testament story about Jesus talking to a crowd and somebody comes up to him and says, hey, your brother and your sisters, or mother are outside. And he's like, who's my family? This is my family. James is probably out there like, he said, what? I wake up next to him. So he didn't have the history yet, but what's he doing now? Uh, this is the Messiah. My brother is the Messiah. <laughs> My brother is the son of God. My brother rose from the dead. When he brings back David's fallen tent, unfortunately, I was listening to another pastor yesterday talk about this, and he was just saying that there was nothing here about the Old Testament. It was just obvious that it was just all done. And I was like, he just said David's fallen tent. He's showing this connects back to God has always wanted the people of Israel through David's line And then the greater David, because the first David was kind of a tool, if we're honest. The greater David, the perfect David, has come to raise up God's house again so that people can meet him, and it's so that all nations. He says, how about this? How about we not make it difficult for them? Jesus didn't make it difficult for us. In fact, because of grace, Jesus... Bears the difficulty. Jesus didn't make it difficult on you. He made it difficult on himself. Doesn't mean you can't reject it and continue to try. You can. But the gospel says the difficulty was on his shoulders. Peter and James are saying, look, don't put that burden on them. We can't keep the law. He fulfills, he doesn't get rid of the law. He fulfills the law. He keeps it for us. We stand before God one day. Scripture says everybody will. Everyone will be called to ask to account for every word, every thought, every deed, every late night Netflix choice, everything. And those who have accepted the work of Jesus, I just want you to have this picture in your mind. You're standing there before God and he's like, hey, let's go through this list. And Jesus will literally, I got this one. Father, see me. See my record. Yes, they lived perfectly. Do you see this? That's the gospel. That's what Peter and James are saying. Uh, We take this. We take this. (laughs) We'll go with this. Jesus bears the difficulty. This past week, where did you rely on you? Where did you rely on your work, your efforts, your ability to control your own spiritual narrative? Peter, James, the early church, and Jesus himself would all tell you, put down the knife. Put down the knife. Except what the New Testament says later that the circumcision of your heart has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. The original circumcision was meant only to be a symbol pointing to Christ's ultimate work on the human heart. It's an outward symbol, but it was an outline. It's an outline, never meant to be the story. It's just an outline. Which leads to another question. What expectations or requirements are you placing on those who are coming to know Jesus, who are in process? What are you expecting of them? What are those expectations based on? Personal experience? This is just how things are. I'm more comfortable with people who follow Jesus the way I do. Put down the knife. Jesus would tell us to put down the knife. So let's watch what happens when Jesus has been added back into the conversation. Verse 22, we'll finish up here. Then the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, don't miss that. Just bold it in your mind. With the whole church decided not a room full of beards and old men who are angry about rules and laws, okay? With the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, hi, Greetings. Since we heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to untrouble and resettle your hearts. We've sent some people to you, along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ So we've sent Judas and Silas who will personally report the same things by word of mouth as that is in this letter for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. Well, how does that work? This is an important statement too. The church made a decision and the Holy Spirit made a decision. It was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. Your voice is important. Your gift is important. Who you are in Christ is important. The Holy Spirit and me, we, decided. It's an okay thing to say. It's an okay thing to think about, to lean into. It's right here in Scripture. We decided not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. Abstain from food offered to idols. I mean, if you're sitting down at the table, And the meat that's being served has just come from a temple that was offered to some foreign god. It's probably a good idea not to eat that. Okay? So that one's an easy one. From blood, kosher. From eating anything that has been strangled, humane, right? Um, And from sexual immorality, consistent. That one, the first three most scholars agree contextual food stuff jewish Jews and gentiles eating together let's find a balance let's find somewhere in between the last one consistent all the way through the bible sexual immorality all the way through god is he'd never the other things were there they're contextual they fit circum, certain circumstances because obviously you know there we eat meat sometimes with still a little you know if you're like a you like the rare steak it's like this is bloody god's like right no doesn't happen so Sexual immorality, you will do well if you keep for yourselves, keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they're sent off. They go down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they deliver the letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. (laughs) Just makes me laugh. I don't know why, because sometimes people are like, yeah, it was long. It's Luke I heard from a few people who were at this meeting. It's like, ugh, it's so long. It's like, he encouraged them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we're staying. They taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. In second grade, I had a friend named James. I was going to a school in East Tennessee called Halls Elementary. Uh, It is not an affluent area. We didn't have a lot. Most people didn't have a lot. James had one shirt, one pair of pants, huge Coke bottle glasses. He smelled. He was made fun of. He sat alone. And somehow, Jesus was moving in this second grader's heart to not let that go on. Now, I want to give a picture that I was some amazing kid, though. I spent my fair share of time in the principal's office. That was back when they had paddles, and I received that paddle by the principle. Okay. So I wasn't like this saint, but it, on this day, the spirit of God was causing me to say, well, this isn't okay. And so I sat with James and kind of did that with my nose a little bit. Cause it was tough. And we talked, asked him some questions and then we went to recess and it wasn't you know, like I said, it's a, it's a poor school. And so we didn't even have like a playground thing. We just had kind of a big dirt area. <laughs> so we're out there sitting. And I remember, I can picture it in my mind, the shirt he was wearing, the pants he was wearing, his hair was kind of a sandy blonde, Coke bottle glasses. And I sat there and I said, hey, James, did you know that we can burn things with your glasses? <laughs> He's like, what? I was like, yeah, let me see your glasses. And so we sat there, two second graders in East Tennessee, and we found a piece of grass on the ground, and I held his glasses and focused the sun's light until it started smoking. And James laughed out loud. He laughed so hard. I remember because his glasses were off, and he looked really weird without his glasses. And he was laughing so hard that he was wiping his eyes. I don't even know if I ever talked to James again. But I cannot forget, I can't forget him. There are people sitting back in Antioch who are wondering, is this all fake then? Are we not saved? Does Jesus not want us? Is he really wanting us to do more When the meeting is over, praise God, the meeting is over. They pick people to go and they are sent to lift the burden. That's the goal lift the burden. That's what we do around here, by the way. It's not our strength, it's not our message, it's not our good news, but our job as a church is we are in the business of lifting burdens by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And we don't wait for people to come to us. We are sent. Now, we may have been waiting around for people to come to us, but we are supposed to be sent. Church decides they go together. Everybody's voice and gifts are needed. They need to hear good news, which may mean they need to unhear bad news which happens to have been spoken by Christians. And they don't have a burden for them. They want to lift it. And it brings rejoicing. It brings a sigh of relief, especially from the guys. (laughs) They're like, we're so glad that's not a thing. But how many in the world, in your world, have heard bad news from Christians? in the ways we have lived, spoken, or not spoken, that has spoken, that has communicated judgment, condemnation, even shame. Author James Smith talks about shame. And I, 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 he said this this past week. I was listening to him in a podcast. I'm also reading a book by him. He said, shame is anti-Christ and anti-gospel. I was like, whoa. But as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, yeah. That's not your job, nor is it the job of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit convict? Yes, but it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not shame on you. Shame is anti-Christ, anti-gospel. Are we delivering a message of shame to the world? Are we expecting them to act like Christians when they are just in the process of learning and becoming? Are we saying, well, as long as you believe this, about this, and this, and this, you can't get in here until you tell me you do when the message of the Bible is Jesus sat down with these people who were all in process and they weren't there yet. We know that because the religious leaders said he is eating with sinners. How dare you, Jesus? How dare you break the rules? How long did it take you to start living a perfect, sin-free life? That's a trick question. Don't answer that. (laughs) I love how they framed... This news, it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. And that's not trying to say that we can say, thus saith the Lord and I have scripture to speak. Now, nah. but it is saying it's partnership. It is saying he wants you to be a part of this, not just me, he wants us to be a part of getting out there and saying, hey, I have good news. Jesus invites you to partner with him. If you have been holding the knife, drop it if you have been held under someone else's knife of religion, you can walk away from them and their garbage rules. Walk away. Because here is the beautiful truth. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus went under the knife for you. Jesus became the cancer and the cure. He became sin who knew no sin. If you think I was off there. He became the cancer and the cure. Your role is to sit back and believe it. Worship team, let's go. Lord, we love you. We thank you for difficult moments, difficult meetings in the Bible, in the early church, uh, because I think it just makes us feel normal (laughs) because they were just like us. But Lord, I do think about my friend James. James. I do think about that guy in the market in Jerusalem, exhausted and angry. A lot of times when people are angry, I just wanna write them off, Lord. I just wanna condemn them, especially if they're following another religion. That's easy, right? But Lord, you have compassion on those who desire communion with you. And Lord, if people experience that communion and somebody comes in and tries to take it, well, I think that fires you up. And Lord, we want to carry your message of good news and beauty and lifting burdens in Jesus' name. So Lord, would you uh, use this time as we sing together, um, let your spirit move throughout the room. Uh, God, would you speak? Would you speak? Would you call us Uh, to our own place of repentance in ways that maybe we have held the knife over other people. Or Lord, maybe we are the best at holding the knife to our own heart. Lord, would you help us to release our grip and to drop it and to accept the beautiful work that you've done for us by grace through faith today. Lord, some are considering whether or not you're the real deal today. Make yourself known. Make yourself known right now. Amen.